Let's go ahead and get started. We'll begin with a word of prayer, and then we're going to jump into Numbers and continue the story of uh, Moses and God's people. The Lord be with you. And also with you. God, our Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing on this day as we gather together around your word. Continue to enlighten and inspire us by the example of your love and faithfulness towards the Israelites, your people, whom you led out of the land of Egypt and into their own promised land. God, on this day, we also offer intercession on behalf of Bridget that she might feel better and she might recuperate and return to her normal bouncy self. And for Jean and her shoulder that you might rest upon both of them, your spirit of healing and comfort. And I'd like to add that for my cousin, Bill Soderberg, who fell and is in the nursing facility now. Yes, and we pray for Bill and, and his recovery and for all those who care for him. Lord, we pray all of this this morning in the name of your Son, Jesus, our Lord. Amen. All right. So I started. So let's let's open to Numbers 1, but we're not going to read uh, the first several chapters. So as we get into Numbers, Numbers is going to pick up the story. Um, so if anyone remembers the order, I almost remember the song from my confirmation days. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and... Um, So Leviticus is that one that comes a little bit later, and it's that uh, priestly, uh, it's more of the priestly duties and and written by the priestly um, sort of tradition out of the Israelites. Before we, actually, before we delve into this, let me me put something on the board here. And Jeannie, I'll talk it over so you can hear too. Hey, Mary, we're just getting, we're just getting going. Um, So one of the things that we have um, that we have come across again and again is both in Genesis and then Exodus, and now with Exodus, or excuse me, with Numbers and kind of continuing the story of Exodus, um, we find repetition. And repetition can serve two purposes. One is to really drive home the point. The other that biblical scholars read into that is that there are, um, you know, vestiges of when this all is finally written down, it begins as oral tradition. And we're talking about big communities, different tribes, different uh, family heritages. This is kind of how the story is being passed down. So you wind up with slightly different emphasis on one, slightly different emphasis on the other, until eventually you get to this point when everything is kind of... Um, commingled and assembled and amalgamated into into the text that we have in the books of the Bible. So, this is not anything they can prove, but this is um, sort of literary hypothesis that's debated but also accepted within within scholarship. So I'm going to write some things on the board here, and then I'll explain them. Nothing like a good diagram. Interesting shoes, Mary. Those are interesting shoes. Uh, uh, what are they? Are they walkers? Or? I don't know. Just Nikes. Dan gave them to me for Christmas. They're several years old. Um, they're comfortable. I have to buy new ones. These look okay, but they're not good inside. These are very comfortable. I've got another pair similar style, but cloth instead of the 
plastic on the top. Very comfortable to me. So here we're talking about old Benton. <clears throat> you see the word Torah down there I heard on the news today. Uh, I don't know which one of the islands that they're trying to rescue things off of, but there was a Jewish community there, and they had the Torah in a safe, and they got it out of there because uh, the holiday starts tonight. Is it Rosh Hashanah? Oh, right. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so they need the Torah. Okay. So, and one of the other things to talk about. So... Pastor, Just, would you repeat what you said about the repetition can mean two different things? Yeah, so we find we find either stories that are repeated or stories that have a different emphasis or maybe a different, um, maybe say something sort of different altogether. Um, not majorly different, but we'll find, we find this in the Gospels too, right? So in the four right. Gospels, you know, sometimes Jesus is crucified on Thursday, sometimes it's Friday, sometimes it's linked to this or linked to that. Um, Old Testament, we found, is you know a lot of the same things within Genesis and with Exodus, um, and now Numbers. You get stories that are both repeated um, or have slight differences, and you get them kind of back to back. The earliest example of this is where, obviously, there are these two stories of creation that don't necessarily conflict, but they don't necessarily work together either, either in Genesis 1 and 2. So you had presumably two traditions that had arisen within um, the Jewish people where they had both of these stories. And then at a certain point when they come to write down all their text, they just say, well, keep both. And sandwich them both in, sort of. Um, and so throughout the Old and New Testament, um, at least in comparison with the Gospels, you have this similar strain where things start out as oral tradition in different, um, different segments of society and then get written down. Especially when you're talking about... Um, the Jewish people, realistically, I mean, even by the time they're out in the wilderness, you're talking about tens of thousands. Um, so you already have, you know, that's a that's a big, <coughs> a big group of people, and they're telling these stories, and they're in these tribes and families, and that's how they're getting back passed down. Once you get into the Holy Land, um, now the tribes are in, realistically, kind of like 12 tribes scattered across this area, occasionally in two different nations, Judah and Israel also go through two different periods of exile where some of the community winds up here, some of it winds up there, some of it winds up here. And then once it all gets reassembled and actually put into written form, that's sort of what we would call the final form, um, which some date to around the five centuries kind of BC maybe, or sixth century BC, um, where you have uh, the Babylonian captivity. So when the Babylonian exile happened, that's when they think a lot of these texts were actually put, I would say pen to paper, but it quill to, ink quill to papyrus or whatever they were writing on. Um, so you have these, these various um, sources, as they call them, which are the way that the, the academic community that studies this has named what they theorize these come from. So you have the J source, um, stands for, and this was done by Germans when we were still figuring out the J's and Y's thing. So we've talked about the holy name of God, Yahweh that appears at certain points, or Jehovah, as it was sort of first translated from Latin. So this is the, the Jehovah source, or the Yahweh source, so to speak. And what they find is that 
actually one of the points that doesn't come to us as much in the English, but is clear within the Hebrew, is what how they refer to God. And so there's certain points in certain groupings of stories where they lean very heavily into using the name of God as the, as the way to refer back to God. And those stories will tend to have sort of this linear track throughout, throughout the books that we have, but this linear track that they can say, like, this story is related to this story, so they came from those two sources, or they came from the same source, but now there's this other one stuck in between, and all of a sudden, we have a different name for God and a slightly different retelling. So, so this is the Eloist. Um, El being that name of, of God that we find um, often in the Hebrew that, that designates God. So this is the Elohim's uh, version. So they think that the, that the name of God, the holy sacred name of God community starts to really formalize their version of events sometime around 950 years BC. This community uh, is formulating theirs about mm, 100, 150 years after that. At some point, the first thing that happens is these two link up. And so you would have had from both of them, let's say a proto Exodus story, and now you have second generation Exodus story that gets formed there. Um, a little bit later, um, so before Babylonian captivity, you have the um, deuterocanonical or the deutero, deuter, deuteronomist um, retelling. So Deuteronomy comes on later in the, uh, in the Torah and again goes about sort of telling and retelling in a slightly different ways. Remember those, there's, that, there's additional history there, but it's also, um, it's also kind of a rehash. So the thought is that these folks had this amalgamated second version of the history, and then they sort of create their own. Then there's another uh, Deuteronomist um, sort of strand that influences on the first one, and they create their own, their own amalgamation. So this, is, this stems from them and comes down into this, and the scholars can figure all this out with the language and all this. Maybe this is interesting to you, it's interesting to me, I like this stuff. Um, Another branch then that happens from the, the Yahwehist and the, and the Elohist is the priestly. So then you get more of the Leviticus writings and things about priestly class and have more priestly interpretation. And that probably comes somewhere around 500 <coughs> BC and is, the, is probably one of the last ads um, or last own source redactions, as we would call it, that occurs while they're in Babylonian captivity. So while in Babylonian captivity and then returned from Babylon, um, everything goes under one sort of final editing process. And this R here is for redaction, the, the editing process. And it takes pieces of the JE, it takes from the P and it takes from the D, and it synchronizes some and it compresses some and it creates those five books that we find in their distinction. And that's how we wind up with the Torah which then would have likely been in its present form, you know, maybe 400-ish years before, um, before the birth of Christ. So all of this history, to date Exodus, oh gosh, I should know the year, but I don't. Um, you're talking about even a couple thousand, or not a thousand, um, a couple centuries before 
some of these things start to get written down and finalized. So when we find, so now that we're moving into numbers, you know, you can ask the question, well, why do they, why do they bother? And these are some of the chapters we're going to skip, you know, re-explaining the seven lampstands or re-explaining, um, you know, who gets to be the priestly class and this and that and the next thing. And why are there some stories in there while we're still going to find them in the Sinai that aren't in Exodus? Well, that's because you had these different word of mouth um, stories that are passed down in communities and they don't finally all get synthesized until a couple hundred years before, um, before Christ as we would date it. But from that point on, you pretty much have Torah, these first five books of scripture. All right, so we are gonna open up to numbers. And as I mentioned, we're gonna, we're gonna skim quickly and just skip pretty much all the way to uh, in here into chapter 10. So it starts out with census. They're still in, um, they're still in the wilderness. This is where this story picks up. Um, and it's laying out and reestablishing or more firmly establishing the 12 tribes, who everyone is, um, who they're related to, how they're gonna be grouped and categorized. Um, more orders, orders for marching, um, descriptions of the sons of Aaron and, and their duties, uh, the duties of the Levites. Um, and the, uh, just again, sort of some of this stuff that was covered in at the end of Exodus and some that's, that's new information. Uh, redemp like redemption of firstborn comes up in the third chapter. That's something that's been established already, right? So, and a couple of laws that were uh, either added or, or cleaning up some of the rules. Uh, so cleanliness laws, um, adultery laws, um, restitution, things like that. All right. So I just have a question about yeah. five, just because I passed past it. Okay. It says that they, you have to put people out of the camp who are unclean through contact with the corpse. Mm -hmm. So if they were dealing with the dead, then they had to go out of the camp. Yes. That's so long and then you can come back or whatever. Uh, does it have, sometimes it gives the specifics, I'm not sure. Oftentimes it was a week. Um, yeah, to make sure that you didn't pick up anything from the, you were put in quarantine. So you were, you were physically unclean and spiritualistically unclean during that, during that time. You couldn't associate it. Some people, and there's been pushback against this um, interpretation. Some people have talked about the, um, the priest that passes by in the Good Samaritan parable. Um, who, for fear that the person that was robbed might be dead, doesn't want to go and intervene and touch him, lest he become unclean and then not be able to go do his job. Um, so this, this maintains itself in, in a lot of ways, this prohibition against, um, or this taboo as it more forms into by the time of Jesus against interacting with corpses. Um, and for pragmatic purposes, too, um, within... Judaism, and especially with his, in Islam, that, that are both in these um, similar, at least, uh, uh, climate areas, the, the ordinance to bury the dead quickly is still the, rooted in those traditions. 
um, decomposition happens fastly, very fast in those areas, and um, presumably all the ickiness that comes along with it. Once you get people up into northern Europe and it's the dead of winter, <laughs> there's no rush, right? You can just you can put someone outside and deal with it later. But we still, they still have that tradition. They and they still have maintained that tradition. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and and so things like that, or even um, water rituals. Um, that we find, so like we do baptism and, and cleansing and, um, you know, we've talked about within, or not synagogue, within um, uh, mosque worship, there's still running water and the importance of that. And if you're in a hot, dry, dusty place, water is, you truly understand how much more water is this life source, I think. Um, whereas other cultures just didn't have the same thought about water uh, to bring it into ritual in the same way. Um, so cleanliness becomes important. It doesn't say how long they're left out of the camp there. Um, what was one thing I want to point out? Oh, if you go to chapter 7, or excuse me, chapter 6, verse 22, um, this is something that is a, uh, a commandment to speak and something that we still use. So chapter 6, verse 22, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus... You shall bless the Israelites. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace so that they, so that they shall put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Sound familiar? Uh -huh. We still retain the priestly blessing as uh, one of our usual benedictions um, at the end of our services. So going through seven again, more laws, regulations, into eight, much of the same. Description again of the seven lamps. Consecration of the, uh, the service and the priests. Like this is how Exodus ended, but we're getting it again. Um, chapter nine, celebrating Passover at Sinai. Um, and then continuing on, uh, reintroducing the, the cloud of fire. We, we talked about that when we concluded Exodus. Um, sort of the cloud of God that would descend and, and ascend from the tabernacle and would lead the people. So the importance of that, that visual cue. Um, so getting to chapter seven, and this is where we'll, we'll really, or excuse me, chapter 10, this is where we'll really start to pick up. Um, so after instruction about these trumpets, um, starting at verse 11 in chapter 10. In the second year, in the second month, on the 12th day of the month, the cloud lifted from over the tabernacle of the covenant then the Israelites set out by stages from the wilderness of Sinai, and the cloud settled down in the wilderness of Paran. They set out for the first time at the command of the Lord by Moses. The standard of the camp of Judah set out first, company by company, and over the whole company was Nashon, son of Aminabad. Over the company of the tribe of Issachar was Nathaniel, son of Zuar. And over the company of the tribe of Zebulon was Eliab, son of Halon. Then the tabernacle was taken down, and the Gershonites and the Merarites, who carried the tabernacle, set out. Next, the standard of the camp of Reuben set out, company by company, and over the whole company of Eliezer, son of Shedur. And the company of the tribe of Simeon was Shalumiel, son of Zereshadai, and over the company of the tribe of Gad was Elisphah, son of Deul. Then the 
Kohathites who carried the holy things set out, and the tabernacle was set up before their arrival. Next, the standard of Aphronite camp set out company by company, and over the whole company was Elishama, son of Amahud. And over the company of the tribe of Manasseh was Gamaliel, son of Pedahazur. And over the company of the tribe of Benjamin was Abadan, son of Gideon, Gideonai. Then the standard of the camp of Dan, acting as the rear guard of all the camps, set out company by company. And over the whole company was Ahirazer, son of Amish, Amimish Ahadi. Over the company of the tribe of Asher was Pagiel, son of Okran. And over the company of the tribe of Naphtali was uh, Ahira, son of Enon. This was the order of march of the Israelites, company by company, when they set out. Moses said to Hobab, son of Reuel, and the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, We are setting out for the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us, and we will treat you well, for the Lord has promised good to Israel. But he said to him, I will not go, but I will go back to my own land and my own kindred. He said, Do not leave us. For you know where we should camp in the wilderness, and you will serve as eyes for us. Moreover, if you go with us, whatever good the Lord does for us, the same will we do for you. So they set out over. They set out from the mount of the Lord, three days' journey, with the ark of the covenant of the Lord going before them, three days' journey, to seek out a resting place for them. The cloud of the Lord being over them by day was set out from the camp. Wherever the ark was set out, Moses would say. Arise, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered and your foes flee before you. And whenever it came to rest, he would say, Return, O Lord, to the ten thousand thousands of Israel. So many names. All right, but well, we're on the move. Can someone pick up at chapter 11? Okay, I will try. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, he was angry. Was, uh, his anger was kindled. And fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire obeyed it. So the name of that place was called Tabernacle, uh, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now the rubble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt for nothing, the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing for all but the manna to look at. Now the manna uh, was like a coriander seed and its appearance like that of Medellin. The people went among and gathered it and ground it in meal and beat the, it with mortars and boiled it in a pot and made cakes out of it and the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families. <clears throat> 
every man at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord raised high, and Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, Why hast thou dealt ill with thy servants? And why have I not found favor in thy sight, that thou dost lay the burden of all this people upon me? Did I conceive all of the people? Did I bring them forth, that thou shouldst say to me, Carry them in your bosom, as a nurse carries a suckling child, to the land which thou didst swear to give their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all of the people? For they wept before me, and saying, Give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all the people alone, but the burden is heavy for me. If thou wilt deal thus with me, kill me at once. If I find favor in thy sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. All right, we'll pause there for a second. Um, people are upset again. Yeah. And, uh, this is the old story coming back again. Yeah, this is another, this is another portion. Um, and... So we have a similar uh, event in which, you know, God becomes angry with the people for their complaining again. Moses intervenes. God stops. So God, this is interesting because this is metaphor and literal at once. The, the fire of God, his, his rage burns against them. And it seems to literally set fire to the camp um, because God has become so angry with them and they're complaining. But Moses, Moses... Um, pleads for it to stop again, and it stops, God listens. And what happens from there, interestingly, is, you know, Moses gets pretty, I don't know, cheeky with God, or, I mean, Moses is upset. Um, Moses feels this too. He's been dealing with this weight of leading these people through very austere conditions, and he wants them fed. So he feels their pain too. So he comes to the Lord in his anger and his, um, his displeasure. Let's pick up, uh, could someone pick up at 16? So the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tent of meeting and have them take their place there with you. I will come down and talk with you there and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people along with you, so that you will not bear it all by yourself. And say to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow you shall eat meat. For you have wailed in the hearing of the Lord, saying, If only we had meat to eat. Surely it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall not shall eat not only on only one day or two days or five days or 10 days or 20 days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome <laughs> to you. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and kneeled before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? But Moses said, the people uh, am with number 600,000 on foot and you say, I will give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. Are there enough flocks and herds to slaughter them? Are there enough fish in the sea to catch for them? The Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's power limited? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. 
So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 elders of the people and placed them all around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, but they did not do so again. Two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent. So they prophesied in the camp. And the young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, son of Nun, the assistant of Moses, one of his chosen men said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of, the Israel, of Israel returned to the camp. Then a wind came out from the Lord, and it brought quails from the sea, and let them fall beside the camp, about a day's journey on this side, a day's journey on the other side, and all around the camp, about two cubits deep on the ground. So the people worked all day and night and all the next day, gathering the quails. And the least anyone gathered was ten homers, and they spread them for themselves all around the camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a great plague. So that place was called Kibrathatavah. Excellent. Because they were buried, buried the people who had a craving. From Kimbrahatava, the people journeyed to Azeroth. All right. Um, so how does this story go? I'm sorry to be rude, but I have a doctor's appointment. Oh, okay. No, that's all right. Late in, early out. Yeah. No good. <laughs> sorry. Oh, so they got their meat. But it did not end well. Um, but then it didn't. It either didn't digest well or something like that. It also <laughs> carried with some disease. Well, yeah, and I think that's. But seen as the seen as the the Lord's doing, so they wanted meat. I'm going to give you meat. Stop. But with it comes problems. But with it comes problems for a number of them. So that is, yeah, kind of a. Kind of a rough story, but we'll continue on in 12. While they were at Hazaroth, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had indeed married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more so than anyone else on the face of the earth. Suddenly the Lord came to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, Hear my words. When there are prophets among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams, not only with my servant Moses. He is entrusted with all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly, not in riddles and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. 
When the cloud went away from over the tent, Miriam had become leprous, as white as snow, and Aaron toward, turned towards Miriam and saw that she was leprous. Then Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, do not punish us for a sin that we have so foolishly committed, but do not let her be like one stillborn, whose flesh is half consumed when it comes out of its mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord, O God, please heal her. But the Lord spoke to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, would she not bear her shame for seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp for seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut out of the camp for seven days, and the people did not set out on a march until Miriam had been brought in again. After that, the people set out from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Um, a pretty, pretty typical story in that, you know, jealousy arises and Miriam and Aaron are also important to the story, but no one is Moses. And, um, it's, it's a very interesting reflection on, um, the way that God speaks to prophets and to others as compared to how God speaks to Moses. So how does God speak to prophets and, and other people who hear from the Lord? Visions and dreams and, dreams and riddles. Um, it's, it's complicated and complex. What is so defining and distinguishing about Moses is when God is going to speak to Moses, God's going to have a face-to-face -face conversation, and no one else can do this. Um, the, the assertion, which is always kind of funny on its face, that Moses is the most humble man on the earth, um, but he is he is demonstrated within Exodus and Numbers here. He's clearly not consumed with his power. In fact, he doesn't really even want to do this um, from the very beginning. Um, and maybe that's part of the reason God chooses him. Um, but he's not, he's not hoarding his power when he... So think about back to Exodus. He's overwhelmed by the work. He's got tens of thousands at that point or, or however many. Now it says 600,000. Um, that come to him sort of night and day to be this single judge. And he gets the advice from his father-in-law, you, you need to delegate some of your power. And Moses just does it. If he was absorbed with his power, that would almost be impossible for him. Towards the end of Exodus, there's all these roles for um, the priests and these others in the tabernacle, and Moses isn't going to be um, a party to that. His role is different. And Moses doesn't complain about it. It almost seems strange that given their relationship, you would think the chief priest of the Israelites should be Moses. Mm -hmm. But it's not. And Moses is fine with that. Um, so he does show this, this, this humility. And um, it gets reinforced here. But I think part of the reason that um, part of the reason that God chooses him to be this, this great leader. Again, we have um, the heart of Moses here, right? So Miriam gets, gets struck with leprosy. And what does Moses do immediately? Begs for the Lord. Yeah, but, and begs for her, her to be healed. Uh, but, not, but God's going to stick with it this time, at least for a week. So she's going to be plagued for a week by this and be set outside the camp for her uncleanliness. Um, which is both a dishonor and a taboo. So she has to, she is, and it's tough to separate those things. She's shamed too. 
um, in her exile from the camp. But they don't leave without her. They, they obviously wait for her. All right, let's pick up at 13. The Lord said to Moses, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I give to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers shall you send a band, every one a leader among them. So Moses went, sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord all of them men who were the heads of the people of Israel. And these were their names <clears throat> from the tribe of Reuben. Do I have to read these? <laughs> no, you can, you can skip through. All right, here we go. Uh, Moses sent. These were the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hoshea, the son of uh, Joshua. Uh, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up into the Negev yonder and go upon, go up into the hill country and see what the <clears throat> land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in our camps or strongholds. And whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there is wood in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up, spied out the land, the wilderness of Zin to Rohab, near the entrance of Hamra. They went up into the Negev and came to Hebron and to Hamnan, Shihai, Talmi. The descendants of Anka were there. Hebron was built in seven years before Zolan in Egypt, whatever that means. And they came to the valley of Eshkol and uh, cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between the two of them. They brought it to the also some pomegranates and figs. That place is called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster which of the men of Israel cut down from there. At the end of forty days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and uh, to all of the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregations and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Hmm. What does the term milk and honey mean? Is it literally milk and honey? Yeah. Because then it says, and this is the fruit. Uh, yet the people who dwell in the land are strong, and their cities are fortified and very large, and besides, they saw the descendants of Akka there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev, the Hittites and the Jebusites, and the Amorites, uh oh, dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell in the sea, along with the Jordan. 
But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are uh, well able to <coughs> overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. So they brought to the people of Israel an evil report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land to which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people that we saw in it were our men of great stature. And there we saw the Nephilim sons of Anka who come from the Nephilim. And uh, we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers and so they seemed to them okay wait a minute they <coughs> they thought the people were too strong right mm -hmm. yeah so it says caleb quieted the people before moses and said let us go up at once and occupy it for we are well able to overcome it then the men who had gone up with him said we are not able to go up against this people for they are stronger than us so they brought to the israelites an unfavorable report yeah so this um this Nephilim, and this is uh, linked back in some ways to this uh, this people that angered God so much, uh, sort of these half-god men or the giants uh, before the flood in Genesis. Um, similar similar name here, but these people that are just massive, this huge people, and they so this is the negative report. They they don't think they can take the land. That thing about the fruit, so it's two things. So they bring them these. They bring back to the Israelites these pieces of fruit. And that's when they say, this is the land of milk and honey, and this is the fruit. So they're referring to the those pomegranates and all sorts of things they had brought back. So it's a it's a good land. It's a lush land. Um, yeah, but the term milk and honey then doesn't mean that nothing doesn't isn't literal. There is a lot of milk there and a lot of honey there, but there's a lot of good food there. Right? Um I think it's supposed to be both. It means it's plentiful, but it's also meaning there's going to be milk and honey. Yeah. I mean, there's bees in that part. Honey bees. Oh, yes, yeah. yeah. So it's part of the promise that this land of milk and honey will be there. All right, let's pick up with 14. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. Now all the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that they had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become booty. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us choose a captain and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the Israelites. And Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of whatever, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the Israelites, The land that we went through as spies is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are no more than bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, 
and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But the whole congregation threatened to stone them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? And how long will they refuse to believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them, I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make for you a nation greater and mightier than they. But Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it, for in your might you brought up this people from among you, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land, They have heard that you, the Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go in front of them, and a pillar of cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night. Now if you kill this people, all but one time, then the nations who have heard about you will say, It is because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give them, that he slaughtered them in the wilderness. And now, therefore, let the power of the Lord be great in the way that you promised when you spoke, saying, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgressions, but by no means clearing the guilty visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children to the third and fourth generation. Forgive the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you pardoned the people from Israel until now. Then the Lord said, I do forgive just as you have asked. Nevertheless, as I live and all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the people who have seen my glory and the signs I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have tested me these ten times, have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their ancestors. None of those who despise me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, and has followed me wholeheartedly. I will bring him to the land to which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Now since the Amalekites and the Canaanites live in the valleys, Turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. All right, we'll stop. We'll stop there. The Red Sea. Okay. Yeah. In other sort words, of. They're, they're going to Saudi Arabia. Uh. Well, Jordan is there, but it's basically they're going to the Red Sea. Is that the, is that the direction they're getting? They're going south and east. Uh, yeah, so maybe, maybe, could be talking about one of the gulfs there, too, that they'll cross up and over, I doubt, or to, toward to go along the sea line. So yeah, maybe up to, up to the east, there. Um, or west, depending if they're taking the western gulf. But anyway, so in this, in this portion, we'll, we'll stop here for today, but this is, um, what does, how does Moses convince God to spare the people this time? Because he lies down, face down. Well, yeah, but what, what, what tactic does he use? What's, what's his argument? You're not going to think you're a good God, right? Yeah, it's kind of, um, in a sense, appealing to God's pride. Um, you know, if you do this, the Egyptians and all the other people are going to hear about you, and they're going to think you. They're going to think you couldn't get it done, um, which is a pretty bold stance to take with God, um, but it appears to work. 
that except that um, there's still going to be punishment. God's had it with this generation, right? So there's certain servants that are not going to make it in. Mm-hmm. We've we've had one more name um, introduced here a bit as a good servant. Caleb has come up, so that's um, and Caleb's been a, a good and wholehearted. Um, uh, servant of God. So Caleb and his descendants will possess the land that, that he went into. But a lot of these others, they're not going to make it. So, but yeah, God, so it's again, this sort of, God is angered with the people. Moses intercedes on their behalf. Um, basically says, you don't want to be see, seen like this. God says, all right, uh, I have said I am a, a forgiving God and slow to anger, and I, I do forgive them. But... Um, and the, the first crack at the Holy Land will save for, save for next week. But they're, they're getting to the doorstep here um, as we go through Numbers. Let's end with a word of prayer. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Yeah, we have lots and lots of...